Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Salam alaikum, peace be upon you. Welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast, episode 172, Wise Like Thoth. Today, we step outside the main narrative of King Horemheb's reign. I want to get a closer look at Horemheb's personality, specifically the king's relationship with a famous god, Jehuti or Thoth, the lord of wisdom, the master of writing, the great advisor and counsellor of the gods. Horemheb liked Thoth. He referenced the god repeatedly in his royal and pre-royal monuments. It's an interesting phenomenon. Why did Horemheb venerate this god specifically? Today's episode comes to you as an offering from Adrian, Tony, and Morgan, who joined the Patreon as overseers. Folks, thank you so much. Your support allows me to buy writing materials, printing paper, and take the time to read, read, read. Surely, the great Jehuti, Thoth, will bless your learned patronage. To everyone listening, thank you for joining me. Come, let us sit in the court of the temple, and hear the praises of a wise god. Last time, we stood by as Horemheb unveiled a significant proclamation, the great decree, carved on large stelae and erected in various temples, presented the king's vision for order in Egypt. That vision is complicated. We may read it positively, cynically, or somewhere in between. But one thing is clear. Publicly, King Horemheb, Djoser Keperu Ra, presented an image of discipline, stability, and obedience to the cosmic order an order that was created, maintained, and recorded by the gods. At the end of the Great Decree, Horemheb made a curious statement. He described himself and his reign in positive terms, how he would achieve great eternal things. And he compared himself to a celestial body, the moon. The king said, quote, Now, while I, Horemheb, am enduring of life, existing upon earth, and making the monuments of the gods, so shall I repeat births like the moon. The moon is united with life, stability, and dominion. His body has illuminated the limits of the earth, just like the disk of the sun. And his, the moon's, light is powerful, like Ra when he shows himself in the season of flood. The moon's beauty is exceedingly radiant, and his power is in the hearts of mankind. End quote. Horamheb praised the moon, 
the satellite body that orbits the Earth and presents its shining face in the night. The king describes the moon in general terms, but reading between the lines, we can guess which deity he is describing. In this context, Hormheb is probably talking about Jehuti. Jehuti, or Thoth, needs no introduction. The ibis bird, the baboon, the wise master, the counsellor and advisor to Ra, Osiris, and all deities. Jehuti, Thoth, was the lord of knowledge, of writing, and of excellent planning. That is his divine role. In our world, Jehuti appeared most prominently as the moon. Jehuti, Thoth, was a lunar deity, and religious texts speak of the god crossing the sky by night, rising high when the darkness descends. A thousand years before Horemheb, the ancient pyramid texts described Jehuti as a counterpart to Ra. Together, the moon and the sun god crossed the sky, sustaining the kings in their eternal journeys. So Jehuti was the moon. He's not the only moon god, there is also Khonsu, but in the context of the Great Decree and Hormheb's career overall, it is quite likely the king was referring to Jehuti. It would not be the first time. Hormheb's religious pageantry was prominent. At the start of his reign, we read the king's coronation stela, a lengthy description of Hormheb's time in government leading up to his ascent. The coronation text is a great example of Hormheb's public image, specifically his associations with cosmic order and with the gods. One feature of that text, which I touched on briefly, was Horemheb's references to a specific god. In the pre-royal section of his coronation stela, Horemheb described his career as a parallel to that of Jehuti. He said, quote, All Horemheb's plans were like the stride of the ibis bird. His utterances, or speeches, were the very model of the lord of Hesred. He was rejoicing in Ma'at, like the beaky one. End quote. Horemheb described himself with the attributes of Thoth. He compared himself to the ibis bird, which was an avian symbol of the deity. He invoked the Lord of Heseret, which is one of Thoth's titles related to a major temple. And he described himself as similar to the beaky one. Again, a reference to the ibis bird, which have prominent long beaks. In another section of that coronation stela, Jehuti appeared again. This time, the king of the gods, Amun-Ra, proclaimed Horemheb's rule on earth. And according to the hieroglyphs, Amun made a speech. Supposedly, the great god said the following, quote, Come to my side, you gods and goddesses. Hear my words. May you give millions of said festivals and hundreds of thousands of years. For my eldest son, whom I have placed upon my throne, Horemheb, the beloved of Amun. Indeed, it is Jehuti who shall hear my speech, and who shall put it in writing. Amun-Ra's proclamation was said to the great deities, and Thoth himself recorded it in writing. The proclamation, therefore, and the stela on which that writing appeared, would become immortal, eternal. Horemheb's ascent to kingship was ratified by Thoth. So from the very start of his reign, we get a sense of Horemheb using Thoth as a major symbol of his ascent to power. 
Having spent many years in the government of Egypt, long before he became king, Horemheb could validly compare himself to the great counsellor of the gods. It probably added a great deal of legitimacy to Horemheb's claim. Having risen up from non-royal circumstances, Horemheb needed every asset he could gain. If people had concerns about their new pharaoh, perhaps Horemheb could allay them by invoking the great counsellor, the administrator, the wisest of all the gods. These texts, the Great Decree and the Coronation Stealer, come from Horemheb's royal career. But they are not the first references that he would make to Jehuti or Thoth. Back in the days when he was a courtier, administrator, and general bureaucrat, Horemheb invoked Jehuti frequently. Their relationship is a curious one, and it tells us a little bit about Horemheb as a person. For the rest of this episode, we are going to see how Horemheb developed an ongoing fascination, even adoration, for the moon god, the baboon or ibis, the great and wise Jehuti. Throughout his life, Horemheb commissioned monuments and objects that referenced Jehuti, Thoth. These appear in different contexts. Some are generic, part of long lists of gods and goddesses, whom Horemheb adored, others are specific, devoted explicitly to Thoth himself. The most important and best preserved monument is a statue, an image of Horemheb in his pre-royal career, back when he was an administrator. That statue can be found in New York, in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It is an exceptionally beautiful piece, arguably the finest work of Horemheb's artistic legacy. The statue shows Horemheb as a scribe. He sits cross-legged atop a stone base. Across his lap, Horemheb holds a sheet of papyrus that is covered with hieroglyphs. In his right hand, he holds a pen or brush. On his left knee, a small shell acts as an ink pot. His face is calm, passive, as if we are catching him in a moment of contemplation. Horemheb's hair is long, hanging down over his shoulders, and he wears a full-body robe of fine linen. The robe covers his shoulders, torso, thighs, and knees, but the linen is sheer, revealing Horemheb's belly and the folds of fat that form as he leans forward. Visually, Horemheb appears as a classic scribe, prosperous, well-fed, with plenty of time for sitting and contemplating. The statue has two texts, two sets of inscriptions that identify its purpose. The first text appears on the base, the square stone block that supports Horemheb himself. Along the surface of this block, lines of hieroglyphs identify the statue as Horemheb, and they give a sense of its purpose. The texts inform us how Horemheb respects and honours the gods, and how he lives on earth as a proper, honest person. The first text is a dedication, and Horemheb says, quote, An offering of Thoth, Jehuti, the lord of hieroglyphs, the weigher of truth, who carries Ra in the nighttime bark. May you, Thoth, respond to words according to their correctness or honesty. An offering of Ptah, south of his wall, of Sakhmet, the beloved of Ptah, of Ptah Sokar, the lord of the secret chamber or tomb and of Osiris, 
the Lord of Rosetau, the Giza Necropolis. End quote. The statue has two dedications, two sets of gods who receive Hormheb's praise and worship. Hormheb invokes Thoth, Ptah, Sakmet, Ptah Sokar, and Osiris. Notably, Hormheb focuses on Thoth. The wise Chahuti gets an entire dedication to himself. By comparison, the other four gods are all grouped together in the second text. So right out the gate, we have an idea of the context. Hormheb is commissioning this statue primarily for Thoth. He will honour the other gods, as is natural, but the focus is on Jehuti. So the dedication sets the scene. Hormheb's statue is a gift, an offering for great gods. It also tells us something about Hormheb himself. Beyond the dedication, the hieroglyphs describe Hormheb's virtues as a man and a leader. They talk about his honesty, his good governance, and his piety on earth. Doing this, the statue's texts set the scene for Hormheb as a person. The hieroglyphs say, quote, May Thoth respond to words according to their correctness or honesty. I, Hormheb, am a correct one of the royal court. Every crime is reported to me, and I am putting it right. I am one who establishes laws for the king, who gives instruction to the court. I am wise in my speech. There is nothing that I do not know. I am a guide for everyone, who shows every person his path. End quote. The text goes on like this, at great length. I won't repeat all of it, but you get the basic idea. Years before he ascended the throne, Hormheb proclaimed his value as a man of wisdom and correct behaviour. He was a good representative of Thoth. Speaking of Thoth, we now come to the heart of this statue. The monument shows Hormheb seated, and he unrolls a scroll, a great sheet of papyrus across his lap. That scroll is decorated with lines of hieroglyphs that give a prayer or hymn for Thoth. On the main body of the statue, Hormheb offers praise to the Lord of Wisdom. The hymn is long and a little bit archaic. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just some major sections. If you would like to read the entire text, you can find a translation on the Metropolitan Museum of Art website. Link in the episode description. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A statue of Hormeb dedicated to Jehuti, or Thoth, to Ptah, to Sakmet, to Ptah Sokar, and Osiris. A hymn of praise on the papyrus scroll, words from Hormeb to the great god Thoth. Hormeb says the following, quote, Adoring Thoth, the son of Ra, the moon, beautiful of processions, great of appearances, one who enlightens the gods. An adoration by the nobleman, the mayor, 
the fan-bearer on the king's right hand, the commander-in-chief and royal scribe, Hor M. Heb, the true of voice, who says, Hail to you, moon, Thoth, bull in Hermopolis, one who passes by the places of the gods and knows the mysteries, one who judges all people, who is wise of sight in the bark of millions, a messenger for humanity, who knows a person according to their speech, who makes a deed stand against its doer, one who satisfies Ra and reports to the Soul Lord. You, Thoth, cause Ra to know all that happens. He is summoned in the sky as the day arises, without forgetting any report of yesterday. You, Thoth, are one who crosses the sky, who overthrows the rebel and covers the western horizon. The Enead, the Divine Council, who are in the night bark, give praise to Thoth, and they say to him, Welcome, welcome, praised of Ra, as you open the way of the bark and act against the rebel, cutting its head, breaking its bar, and throwing its corpse into the fire. You, Thoth, are the god who slaughters that rebel. One does not act without your knowing, son of Ma'at. You are one who makes the places of the gods, who knows the mysteries and interprets their words. Let us make praise for Thoth, who suffers no injustice. You are a vizier, or chati, who judges and peacefully appeases chaos. You are sound of shoulder, wise among the Ennead, the council. One who announces all that is forgotten. The wise of sight for the confused, who remembers this moment and eternity, who reports the hours of darkness. Thoth's words are enduring forever. He is one who enters to the netherworld, who knows what is in it, and who registers all according to a name list. End quote. So, the hymn was long, and it kind of goes in different directions, touching on different aspects. There are a few notable elements that I think are worth discussing. Horemheb praises Thoth as, quote, one who judges all people. There are two angles to this. On the one hand, Thoth can be a moral judge, because Thoth is wise and learned, and who knows all the elements of ma'at, justice and order. He is a natural figure to pass judgment on individuals and their actions. Thoth is not the only god who does this. In the afterlife, beings like Osiris will do similar. But in the human world, Thoth seems to be the avatar of judgment. This makes sense. The wise god is a natural icon for individuals on earth who need to choose between different paths. Local judges, for instance, might invoke Thoth if they are trying to choose between one party and another. Or overseers and decision-makers might consider Thoth as the guide for their decisions, which path they should take. So the hymn presents Thoth as one with ultimate power and wise assessment over humanity. We also get a sense of Thoth the warrior. In one section, the great gods praise Thoth for, quote, opening the path of the night bark, the boat, acting against the rebel, cutting its head, breaking its bar, and throwing its corpse into the fire. You are the god who slaughters the rebel. That passage describes Thoth slaughtering Apophis, the great serpent who threatens the bark of Ra as it journeys through the night. Thoth is not the only deity who fills this role, but he is one of the prominent figures. 
So Thoth literally protects Ra during his journey. If Apophis or any enemy wants to threaten the god, Thoth will destroy it. So he's not just a wise counsellor or nerd, he is also a little bit of a jock, going forth with his sword or spear and slaughtering his enemies. Don't mess with Thoth. That might be a good reference point for somebody like Horemheb. In his pre-royal career, Horemheb was a major figure in the Egyptian military. So from a certain point of view, he would go forth and slaughter the enemies of the king. Just as Thoth protected Ra, Horemheb had protected Tutankhamun. And the comparison between the god and the general makes for a nice passage. Finally, Horemheb describes Thoth as one who remembers this moment and eternity. The idea, basically, is that Thoth is omnipotent, all-powerful, and omniscient, all-knowing. He knows this moment and everything that ever will happen and ever has. Thoth is so omniscient that if there was to be two omnisciences, he would be both. To put it another way, Thoth sees you when you are sleeping, he knows when you are awake, and he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for Ma'at's sake. Again, maybe Horemheb is making this point for comparison. As the leader of Egypt's government under King Tutankhamun, Horemheb might claim to know everything that was happening within his kingdom. We can see from Horemheb's monuments that he had a ridiculous number of titles and authorities. He was the master of several government institutions. Hypothetically, people would be reporting to him constantly with the business of the day. So, in context, Thoth makes a good parallel for Horemheb. As the great god informs Ra every day of what is happening, so Horemheb informed the king. And this comparison would serve him well as pharaoh in his own right. Horemheb's Hymn to Thoth is a beautiful text. On the one hand, it evokes many interesting aspects of the great god, and it gives us points of comparison with Horemheb himself. From these texts, we can get a sense of how Horemheb imagined his own role within Egyptian society. Maybe we can get a sense of his personality too. On the one hand, he may have been a genuine believer in these concepts, seeing himself as one doing God's work on earth. On the other, he might have been extraordinarily egotistical, comparing himself, even as a non-royal individual, to one of the greatest and wisest of gods. We can only guess which one of these is closer to the truth. Chances are there's a little bit of both. But this hymn to the wisest of gods does give insights into Horemheb's ideals, the things he valued in his pre-royal career. And from the monuments that I referenced earlier, we can see how those ideas carried on. At least in public, Horemheb followed the ideas of Thoth and used them as a major aspect of his image. Those may reflect some aspects of his genuine personality. That brings us to the end of the hymn, but there are a couple more aspects of this statue I'd like to touch upon. Quite often, these sort of statues, scribal statues, will show the owner seated with a scroll across their lap. 90% of the time, the individual is reading the scroll. They are holding it with two hands, as if they have opened it in the temple, and are now reading it aloud. 
Horemheb's statue is a rare exception to this rule, because it doesn't show him reading it, it shows him writing it. On the statue in New York, Horemheb's hand is broken, but the surviving traces show that he used to hold a pen. Horemheb clutched a reed pen, like a calligraphy brush, in his right hand. On his left knee, he balances a small shell that he is using as an inkpot. The statue seems to show Horemheb in the act of composing. In other words, the hymn to Thoth is not something that Horemheb has taken from the temple to read out loud, it is his creation. The text itself emphasises this point. At the start of the hymn, we found the phrase, Adoring Thoth by the royal scribe Horemheb. So Horemheb is quite specific. This hymn is his work, his adoration of the god. Put that together with the statue itself, where he is writing it out, and we seem to find Horemheb in the guise of a composer. As I said, this is extremely rare. Horemheb presents himself as an educated man, capable of reading and writing, and he shows himself as one capable of creating, somebody who composed new hymns for the great deity, Jehuti. In a way, this statue gives Horemheb divine attributes. After all, the only ones with the true power of creation are the gods themselves. Horemheb does not present himself literally as a god, but the parallel is there for his audience to see. It's a powerful idea, conveyed quite subtly through the statue. So, Horemheb liked Thoth, Jehuti. He invoked the deity repeatedly in his royal and pre-royal monuments. Sometimes his praise was personal, honouring the guidance and power of the god. Other times, Horemheb focused on Thoth's role within the divine cosmos, the great and wise counsellor, the moon, the protector of Ra. Horemheb acknowledged and invoked Thoth in many different aspects. And the ways that he worshipped this god do give us some ideas about Horemheb's personality and his relationship with this powerful deity. Next time, we leave our brief digression into justice and wisdom. It is time to head to the battlefields. Horemheb oversaw, and perhaps led, campaigns in the north. The records for these wars are scattered and fragmentary, and until recently, some of them were disregarded entirely. But now, new information is changing the picture. Next episode, we will explore a forgotten campaign. Thank you for listening to the History of Egypt podcast. My extra special thanks must go to the priests, the top-tier supporters on Patreon. These wonderful folk give generously, allowing me to fill the offering bowls on behalf of Jehuti. My thanks to TJ, Nidin, Jason, Mykost, Stephen, Yola, Katie, Linda, Andy and Chelsea, Kyla, Terry, Ashley, Evan, and Kendra. You are all too generous. I am in your debt. And hopefully, Thoth will bless you with wisdom and learning in all of your endeavours. I will leave you with another short text, a passage from one of Horemheb's stelae. 
He commissioned this back when he was a courtier, and originally it stood in the court of his tomb at Saqqara. Today, the stela is in the British Museum, one of many fragments from Horemheb's tomb in various European institutions. The stela is reasonably intact, and it has been translated. In this section, Horemheb gives praise to many gods, including Jehuti. Quote, Praise to you, Jehuti, Thoth, Lord of Hermopolis, who comes into existence by himself without anyone creating him. The sole god who governs the Duat, or netherworld, who gives instructions to the Westerners, the dead, who are in the following of Ra, he who distinguishes the tongues or languages of every foreign country. You, Jehuti, cause the royal scribe Horemheb to prosper alongside the ruler, just as you did when you were beside the Lord of all, the Creator, and as you did when you raised him when he came forth from the womb. End quote. Thanks for listening. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.